you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, we're going to pick up this morning, uh, verses 25 through 40, and we're really going to look at the picture of a submissive servant. And uh, let me just go ahead and, I know we've prayed, but let's make sure we're prayed up for the sermon. Lord Jesus, we just come before you, and we ask dear Father, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we look at this example, Lord, as we mentioned even last week, as we started hearing a little bit about who Philip was, and Lord, how he's just excited to serve you, and went about proclaiming the gospel everywhere he went. And I pray, God, that we would learn from him, Lord, that we would see his example in scripture, and Lord, realize it's not just a story, but it's a story that we can learn from and apply to our own lives. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to do that this morning. And Lord, as we mentioned, I pray that you would be with Jim Arnold this morning, Lord. I pray that you encourage him, strengthen him, use him. Lord, um, I don't haven't seen his schedule, but Lord, I know three Sundays out of four, he's at a church presenting and doing work. And I ask God that if he is doing that this morning, that you would just speak through him. And Lord, encourage him, meet his needs, be with his family, keep him strong and healthy, Lord. And ask God that you would just work in and through them, Lord, to draw people to yourself. And Lord, for the field that he works with, Lord, all those... Uh, African countries, Lord, over there around Ivory Coast and Lord, several other countries around there, Lord, I pray God that you just meet their needs, Lord, in one of the most impoverished areas of our world, and yet, Lord, the love of God is just flowing through them. So, Lord, use them, and uh, bless them mightily, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 8, and so as we pick up here again in verse 25, um, we see that there's an example of one who puts her faith and trust in Christ. So we're going to kind of jump back a little bit to last week's message as a couple things apply. But if you would follow along as I just read through, beginning with verse 25 of the first section there. It says, So when they had solemnly bore witness and spoke in the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were proclaiming the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now remember, look at back at verse 9 from last week. Now there was a man named Simon who was formerly was practicing magic in the city and astounding the people of Samaria, claimed he had to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest grace, were giving attention to him, saying that this man was called with great power of God, and so on. And we see that persecution began to come, and it says uh, down in verse 12, it says, But when they believed, Philip proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. And so forth, and they all end up going where? They begin to scatter, they are leaving Jerusalem, they're going to Samaria. So they've been in Samaria for a period of time, God is at work, working in Samaria. And now as we begin verse 25, they're on their way back to Jerusalem. Now look at verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Rise up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he rose up and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage which he was reading was this. As a sheep is led to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will recount his generation for his life removed from the earth? Then the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you earnestly, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? 
Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. So if we stop right there just for a moment, you see that there's a, immediately a picture. They're out and about. They're in Jerusalem for a period. You know, they left Jerusalem. They're in Samaria for a period of time. They're on their way back. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. And he says, I want you to go down to Gaza. Well, that's a desert road. That's not going to really lead to anywhere that I need to be. That's not home. That's not where I want to go. And yet, Philip right there has a moment. You know, I've been, I've been absolutely loving Let me just kind of jump off the book just for a minute. On Wednesday night, we've been going through a book called Experiencing God. And the whole premise of the book is, where is God at work? Wherever he's at work, let's join him in what he's doing and be a part of what he's already doing. That's the overall big premise of it. And the amazing thing is, how many times in the last week and a half, I've had opportunity to almost give a lesson to somebody who's asked a question about something that God was doing in their life. And so, anyway, just, you know, I, I was talking to Bill about it, I was talking to my friend on the phone about it, you know, I was talking to various people how they, these things, we so often want God to do what we want God to, to do, right? I mean, we, and, and if God doesn't do what we want him to do immediately, well, either he's not real, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care, and we kind of think the negative. Well, oftentimes, we're asking God to do something that's not his will. And what God is asking us to do is, hey, I'm at work here, will you join me? And have you ever heard the phrase, many hands make light work? Let's join in what God is doing and help, you know, be, be available to, for his use. And so, you know, he, he, he's at work in Samaria and, and all the people go there and they're proclaiming the gospel there. And all of a sudden, seemingly God is moving them back to Jerusalem. And he goes, oh, wait a minute, Philip, I, I don't want you to go home. I want you to go over here to Gaza. Okay, Lord, but you know that's a desert road and it's not really going to go anywhere I want to go. Does that really even matter? Not really. Because the bottom line is it's an opportunity to, for us to see that God is doing something. And in that moment that God is doing something, we have an opportunity to respond. Either I'm going to respond in obedience and do what God asked me to do, or I'm going to make excuses and justify and rationalize why I shouldn't. Right? Because that's really the only two options that we have. We either join in and obey, or we come up with a bunch of excuses and don't obey. So God is at work, and so he begins to say, okay, God. I mean, you don't see here anywhere in this text where, where uh, Philip says, well, Lord, don't you know I'm tired? I left home, you know, you know weeks or months ago. I, I don't even know. I mean, I, I really want to just get home to my own, my own cot, if you don't mind. I mean, Serta's not there, but my cot is there. And I just really want to get home. You don't see any of that. You really see... Angel of the Lord, verse 26, spoke to Philip, saying, Rise up and go south to the road that descends to Jerusalem. And verse 27, here's his response. So he rose up and went. It's an amazing thing. When we respond to what God asks us to do, God will be at work at that place. I've seen that so many times. So verse 27, he rose up and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Well, you see a couple of things here. First of all, let me say before I even go on, God is always at work. And how does he work? Well, I think most, most often he works through his word. He speaks to us through his word. And the only way for you to literally hear what God wants you to hear is for you to what? Read it. Be in it. Be a part of it. Make it a priority in your life. So God speaks to us through his word. We speak back to him through prayer. And there's that two-way communication. But how else does God speak? He also speaks through his church and through other godly people around you. You know, as they're giving you wisdom and sound advice and things from God's word that you can take with you and make decisions regarding. 
Uh, he oftentimes will speak through circumstances, both good and bad. You know, you know, Mike was joking in Sunday school this morning. He said, man, the last year professor's been crazy. It has been crazy. So what is God trying to say? I don't know, but I'm just trying to say, Lord, every time I wake up and I don't feel good and I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that, I say, Lord, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to teach me through this? What is it that you're wanting to accomplish that I don't know about yet? And over and over, it's an opportunity for God to work. So God will work through circumstances, both good and not so good. He works through both. Sometimes he opens doors, sometimes he closes doors. And just because he closes one door doesn't mean that he's not going to open it again later at a different time. The bottom line is we have to be filled with the Spirit daily, right? Right? Thank, thank you. Filled with the Spirit and, and letting God speak in and through us, right? Working through us. And I've used this illustration before, but here's, here's the point. If I'm sitting in the, in the base of my house yelling upstairs to the second floor to my wife, is she going to be able to hear me very well? No. I mean, and here's what I found out in my life, because maybe, maybe you're more spiritual than I am. I mean, I'll just assume that. You're, you're more godly than me. But when I'm yelling from the basement to the upstairs and she can't hear me, what am I doing? Getting upset, getting ticked off. Why isn't she listening? Why isn't she paying attention? Why isn't she responding? That's all irrelevant. Because if I want my wife to hear me, I have to do what? I have to get close to her, right? And the closer I am, the better she can here. Question. Is it any different with God? No. So why is it that we can go around and say, well, I just don't know what God is doing. I don't hear him telling me to do something. I mean, if I were Philip and I was walking on my way home to Jerusalem, how in the world would I even know God was speaking to me to go down to Gaza? I mean, what is that all about? You have to get close to God. And he says over and over throughout the whole Testament, if you draw nigh unto me, I will what? draw nigh unto you. And he also says in John, abide in me because apart from me you can do nothing. Over and over the whole premise, the entire principle is this, get close to God. And if you want to hear him speak, you have to draw close to him. And the closer you are, the more clearly you will hear him speak. And God speaks through a vast array of areas. But all I know is this, that God may also lead you to an unlikely place. Think about that for a moment. Anybody want to, like, find your next destination to a desert? <laughs> Not me. In fact, you know, anymore, my, my destination of choice is often a staycation. I got nothing to do but sit and relax, right? No, we want our comforts. But sometimes God says, no, it's not about your comfort. I want you to go over here. I want you to be involved with this. I want you to help him with that. And sometimes that's an unlikely place as it was for Philip as he's going down to Gaza now. He didn't give God excuses. He didn't make justifications as to why he didn't, shouldn't go. He didn't rationalize why he needed to get back home to Jerusalem. He just, according to verse 27, he rose up and went. And then because he did that, God led him to the reason of the destination change. And it happened to be a eunuch. So God had, a meet, had for him to meet the Ethiopian eunuch He's, a, he's somebody of, of importance. He's, a, he's an official of the Queen's Court. And he's holding all the money bags. Right? He's in charge of her wealth. And he has this with her. But he's on his way to Jerusalem to worship. So he has to take this little detour over towards Gaza as he's coming this way, going back to Jerusalem. And so in the process, God led him 
to the very reason why God altered his path. And let me just say this. There are times that God is going to ultimately redirect you. And you have a choice to make. Are you going to go? Or are you going to not go? And when you get there, if you choose to go, you'll see why he got you there. I'm just going to tell you, when God led Abraham away, he said, I just want you to go. Well, where am I supposed to go? Just go and I'll tell you when to stop. How many of us would be comfortable doing that? Do you think Abraham would have handled it well if he would have said in advance, hey, by the way, (laughs) you are going to be the greatest of all people. I mean, your seed is going to be as the sand upon the seashore. Right. Sure. Sometimes God doesn't tell us everything in advance. Why? It'd freak us out. It'd scare us. I mean, some of you, look at where you're at today. Think back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Did you ever expect to be there? Not at all. I could never get in front of a crowd. I could never lead a group of people. I could never be involved with that. Right. In and of yourself, you can't. But when you get to where God wants you, he'll give you what you need to do what he asks you to do. And the bottom line, he always does that. So he had Philip to go down to Gaza to meet a man who's actually going back to Jerusalem. And it's the eunuch. He's a person of importance. And God has this divine appointment with him. So let me just think for a moment. Keep your finger there in the book of Acts. And I want you to turn back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Isaiah, chapter 55. Some interesting verses here. Isaiah 55, and I want to read verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to Yahweh, and he will have compassion on him, and our, to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Think about this just for a moment. So often we want to run to where we want to run. I, I'll just speak for myself. I want to go to where it's comfortable. That's not Texas. I, I like cool weather. I like sweater weather. David keeps asking me when I'm going to move to Texas, and I say never. But Dad, you'll like it down here. Not unless my not unless my living room is a walk-in refrigerator. Not happening. I like cool weather. I like I don't like the snow, but I like the cold. You know, I like this. I want comfort. And yet God says, seek Yahweh. What are we seeking? Oftentimes we seek to what we think will bring us pleasure. We seek what we think will bring us fortune. We seek what we think will make us feel good. And he says, I want you to seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Turn the page to, or just the next chapter, Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5 says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh say, Yahweh will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, and choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give in my give you in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. What is he saying here? There is a blessing. There is a joy in being where God wants you to be. I heard it said my entire life, I would rather be in the most dangerous place on planet earth and know that it's the center of God's will than to be where I want and be outside of God's will. The most important place that you can be is where God wants you to be. 
And sometimes that's an unlikely place where you did not plan. But when you get there, God shows you why he's there. And then we see God's ultimate provision in, in Isaiah 53, verses uh, 5 and 6. He says, But he was pierced through our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our peace fell upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Talk about providing for us. He has given us every reason to follow him. Because he has given us everything we need in him. Think about this for a moment. He was in a chariot reading from the prophet of Isaiah. So we get back in our text in Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 28. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And think about this. As Philip was going over to him, he says, I want you to go. He runs over there. He sees the eunuch. And he, he runs over there and he notices something. He's reading from Isaiah. He said, well, he's already religious. But let me ask you a question. Will religion save you? No. Religion won't save you. In fact, Philip really just personifies this. And he begins to ask the eunuch some questions. You know, the, the eunuch invites him to join in. He says, and, you know, and, and he says, you know, the Spirit says, Philip, go over and join his chariot. In verse 30, Philip ran up and heard him reading from my prophet Isaiah, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? So here he is reading from Isaiah, and he doesn't know what he's reading. And then why, how do we know this? He says, well, how can I unless someone guides me, someone teaches me, unless they explain to me. I don't, I don't really don't know what I'm reading. But you see, he was looking, and Philip was available. I wonder how often God would lead us to somebody who has questions, who is searching, if we would just go. I don't know about you, but excuses are easy. They're a dime a dozen. But he makes himself available. He didn't just walk over to the church. God's word said he ran over to it and begins to ask questions. And I find in my life and in my, my encounters with people, it's simply asking questions. Hey, you go to church anywhere? Oh, it's great. What do you like about your church? Ah, oh, does the preacher talk about this? Oh, kind of, you know, do you understand what he's saying? Hey, can I tell you something that shared my life, changed my life? Questions, questions, questions. Questions provoke the conscience. And that's what God has asked us to do. Never call this control the outcome. Just be available to ask the questions. So we see that this is what he begins to do. So do you understand what I, how can I unless someone guides me? And so <coughs> he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was with it, as a sheep is led to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. Man, who, who are you talking about here? Jesus? Was he going through the cross? He didn't beg to get down? He didn't fight for his life? He didn't try to run away? He didn't... Wow, that's really interesting. And in humiliation and his judgment was taken away, and who will recount this generation? And for his life is removed from the earth. He was talking about the death of Jesus. Think about this. He was simply a mouth to speak the message. He did it all the way to Samaria. He's doing it all the way back from Samaria. I, I think it's safe to say it was part of his daily routine. 
Look at verse 36. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I think for a moment there that Philip allowed himself to be used of God to share the truth with the eunuch. And at that moment, the eunuch, in searching and wanting to go to Jerusalem to worship, didn't quite understand everything that was taking place, but with, with Philip's help, he began to believe in God. And now he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And what happens next? <laughs> the eunuch declares that he does believe. And look at verse 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Let me just say this. Here's the first step of obedience after salvation. And for every one of us sitting in this room today, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but have not yet taken the step of baptism, you need to. Baptism is the first step of obedience. And the reality is, baptism will not save you. It cannot save you. But what is baptism? It's a public proclamation of my faith in Jesus. I've said it before. Someone asked me, hey, pastor, I really know I need to be baptized, but can we do it on Saturday when nobody's at the church? Nope. <laughs> Why not? I'm so shy. I just, I, I just can't get up in front of all those people. Because baptism is a public profession of faith. You say, well, how is that? You've heard me do it before. I stand in the water. I form a what? What did Jesus Christ do on the cross? He died, so we go under the water. Did Jesus stay in the grave? No, he came up out of the grave. And God's word says, I crucified the old man, and the new man has arisen, right? The old man is put to death, the new man has risen. So it's a public profession of faith. It says publicly, I'm not ashamed to identify with Christ. And so here's the eunuch, he just puts his faith and trust in, in, in Jesus Christ. He hears the word of God. And immediately he says, I need to be baptized. So if you've not done that, you need to. It says publicly, I'm not ashamed to identify with Christ and what he did for me on the cross. And so he was baptized. Now immediately, he said, well, what happens next? Look at verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. He said, what in the world does that mean? Philip snatched away, he went, gone disappeared, right? First magic show in the Bible. No. What are we saying here? At that moment, the Spirit began to redirect Philip, and God uses him in another place. Because How do I know that? Look at verse 40, the next verse. It says, but Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept what? Proclaiming the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So he's like, Okay, God, I went to Gaza, I run into the eunuch, and immediately you, you know, we, we were able to share the gospel with him, he gets saved, he gets baptized, boom, now you send me over here. See, the task didn't change. The location of the task changed. Bottom line is, he just kept doing what God asked him to do. And if you continue to do what God asks you to do, God will continue to do what he's going to do through you. 
I think so many of us, we miss the blessing of seeing God at work. We miss the blessing of God using us because we first missed the opportunity to go where he was sending us. You see, it's not, I, I've heard this for years. I've heard people say, well, if God sends me, I'll go. If God calls me, I'll answer. Can I just say it? You're called. I don't, I don't know what this mysterious call is that sometimes we wait for. The writing in the sky so that 8 million people can see it? Is, is that how obvious it has to be? What does Thomas say? He goes, unless I see the marks in his hands, I'm not going to believe. He goes, blessed are those who don't see the marks and still believe. Sometimes it's a simple step of faith. God, okay. I don't understand it. I don't even know why. But okay, I'll do it. And when you get there, you'll see why God called you. That's hard. Anyone else think that's hard sometimes? That's hard for me. Sometimes I, you know, I sense this burden to say this or do this, and I'm like, why, Lord? You know, you know that's not going to turn out so good. <laughs> he says, you don't worry about the outcome. You just do what I tell you. And all my life I've seen God show up when I get to where he wants me to be. And I want to be wherever he's at work. Yeah. I don't know about you, <coughs> but it's so exciting as this story unfolds. It's a story of the gospel going out, gospel changing lives, and God working through those people all throughout the book of Acts. And it all starts, <coughs> excuse me, it all starts with the Holy Spirit working in and through us and us responding correctly. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need that reminder. I cannot work in the flesh. My flesh will fail me. You know, I, I say it all the time. Someone says, hey, how you doing? Man, so fat and ugly as ever. I guess I'm doing good. <laughs> Bottom line is, my flesh can get me a lot, of, a lot of trouble. But when I'm working through the Spirit, that's a different subject. That's God doing what God can do, not Ken doing what he can do. I say all the time, man, I failed at this. But at this, I can win. Because it's the day-by-day walking with Jesus. Right? That's where it's at. Lord, as we come before you in prayer, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to learn from the story. I pray, dear Father, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would just for a moment kind of picture ourselves as being like Philip. Lord, you have the right to change our path, to tell us to go in a different direction, to do a different thing. And yet, Lord, as Philip did, we have an opportunity to choose. I can either do it like Philip did, or I can sit back and say no. But when Philip got to where he went, where you were sending him, he saw why you sent him there. And I pray, God, that you would honestly, Lord, just work in our hearts so that we might be obedient and just trust the journey. Just trust that you're doing something bigger than ourselves. Trust that you are working in ways that maybe we cannot see at the moment. God, I pray that you would just speak to my heart as the pastor, as the leader of this church, Lord, that you would allow me, Lord, to be so close to you that I'd be, Lord, so in tune with the Spirit, Lord, that I'm obedient to what the Spirit says and where the Spirit says to go. I pray that for all of us, Father, Lord, that you would just do in and through us, Lord, what we cannot do in and through ourselves. So, Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room, Lord, that we would respond as filled truth 
and obedience and that we might see your hand at work. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just for a moment, as we do each and every Sunday, we have an opportunity to respond to what God's word has said to us. It's not my word. It's not my challenge. It's God's. But how does God want you to respond? Maybe God is choosing to give you an option. Maybe he's working on a path change for you. Maybe he's telling you, I want you to go over here because i got someone I want you to impact. I, I don't know. I'm reading through this story this week and I'm thinking, wow. Just about the moment I think I'm exactly where God wants me. Sometimes he says, no, I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to start there. And we have a choice. He's not going to beat you over the head to do it. But he is going to give you those opportunities. So the question this morning is, is God working in your heart? Is there a response that you need to make to him? Say, Pastor, God spoke to me this morning. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? second question is this. Number two. Just by example, the first thing the eunuch did when he put his faith in God was to take the next step of, of baptism. He said, Pastor, I've never been baptized physically. You know that they went down into the water. They came up out of the water. You don't see any example of sprinkling in scripture. You don't see any example of baby baptism because the bottom line is, baptism always follows belief. You say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, I've never been baptized, but maybe I need to think about that. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? He's not been baptized, but you say, Pastor, man, I'm, I'm challenged by that. Anyone? Let's stand to our feet. Lord Jesus, would you work in our hearts, Lord, as only you can? long beyond this time. And Lord, as we contemplate what you have for us, may we respond rightly to all that your spirit has. And Lord, be with these who break their heart and their hands to you, Lord, that you would speak through to them, Lord, and through them, and use them mightily.